What's up, everybody? Red Rocks Austin, how are we doing? Get my bearings. Good. Okay, so like Doug said, my name is Whitney, and my husband and I, we get the honor and the privilege of helping to pastor, um, trying our hardest to pastor one of our Denver-based locations, the Littleton Campus. Yes, it's so much fun. And then I also work um, on our central youth team, and so having really awkward conversations with our teenagers is my jam. I love it. Um, but before I jump into the message, I just kind of, the Bible says, like, don't compete with each other except in one area, and it's outdoing each other in honor. And so do you love your pastors, Doug and Sam and the whole team? Um, specifically, I love Doug and Sam. Doug, if you don't know this already, um, man, he is so selfless. The way that he leads is incredible. When um, when I w- we, we did work together in Denver, and we saw God do some pretty incredible things, and when um, there was like a uh, an interest in coming and starting a church plant. Man, I was so excited, not because of the glamour of it or the Austin, city of Austin. It was because um, I knew how selfless Doug was, and it was going to just blow up. And so Sam, I yes, you're right there. She, If you guys don't know this, I don't know how. She's like the fiercest warrior in her little dance pod, and she'll always do the right thing. She's so loyal. She'll always have your back, and so I just am so thankful that I'm here with you guys, that you guys asked me to come and be a part of this family. I love Austin. This is my first time I've been in Austin ever. So I love that you guys have the keep Austin weird, my favorite thing, because I tell Conrad all the time, my husband, I'm like, if people really knew me, like if there was like a hidden camera, and sometimes I even look for like a hidden camera, They would, the general, you guys would all say, like, wow, Whitney is really weird. (laughs) She's weird. Um, So I feel right at home, like I told first service. I was like, I was, we were down in downtown Austin, and there was a guy that had no shirt on, platform shoes, and a top hat on a lime scooter. And I'm like, my people, I get you. (laughs) So yeah, it's an honor and a privilege, man. If this is your first time, or you've come since the beginning, you are in the right place. Man, join a life group, start serving here, um, go to the volleyball league. We went the other night. It's so awesome. Like the community here, don't miss out on it. I'm not kidding you. As an outsider looking in, man, God is doing something truly remarkable, and you guys get to be a part of this. And so just feel encouraged by that. Um, but let's get into it. All right, let's talk about life. Who wants to talk about life? You're like, me, in the back, me. Um, life is so random, okay? So I, I've been, like, processing this um, mess, this specific message for, like, the last, like, nine months, I would say. And sometimes, like, we live in Amazon world, and we're like, God, give me revelation now. And God's like, no. Like, I med- meditate on it day and night. That's what the Psalms say. And so this message has come from, yeah, man, nine months, and it's this. It's this question, how do I process life and all of its randomness with God's character and specifically his kindness and his goodness? And so I'm not talking about the kind of like random where like a sin issue or like I made a really bad mistake personally and that my life is unraveled. I know like an expert on sin. He's actually in this room. It's Ethan. Where's Ethan? Come on. Come on, 
I'm just kidding. I love Ethan. I'm just kidding. But, <laughs> but I'm talking about the kind of random in life that happens where you have no control over it. And yet, it's part of your story, whether it's good or bad or the ugly, all the things in between. And so when I talk about random, it's this. It's defined as made, done, happening, or chosen without method or conscious decision. And so um, the stirring of my heart for this time together is that, yes, like these parts of your story that make up, like, why, why did this have to happen? That there will be understanding in this time together. That's been my prayer. But ultimately, I've been praying that, man, we can just catch a glimpse tonight of how good and how kind and how gracious and how faithful our God really is. Because once we catch this glimpse of our God, the parts of our life, that the random parts of our life actually magnify these traits of God, and it starts to shape out our future. So if you're taking notes, I have titled this message, Go to the Place You Aren't. Go to the Place You Aren't. If you guys are in here and you're like, is that a Conoco billboard? Yes, it is. Go to the place you aren't. Okay, will you guys pray with me? Um, God, thank you so much for Red Rocks Austin. God, thank you for the community here and the leadership here. God, we would not be here if it wasn't for obedience um, of these leaders. And so, Jesus, I pray right now, God, that over the last nine months, the words that you've spoken into my soul, God, that you will multiply them in this moment. Holy Spirit, I did not come all this way from Denver, Colorado to Austin, Texas to just do the song and dance, but God, that we want to do business tonight. God, I pray um, understanding to misunderstanding right now and stories. God, I pray that you build up, you lift up the parts of our heart and parts of our lives that are discouraged, that you encourage us. You lift up our head and that we can leave out these doors whole. In Jesus' name I pray. And Texas said... Amen. It's a big, bold amen. All right. Have you ever been in a situation where the most random sequence of events happen? And you know you're in a situation like this because when you're retelling the story, you're like, on my best day, I cannot even make these details up. This is what the type of story I'm talking about. So I have a story like this. It was first grade. I was in Mrs. Malecki's class, and it was picture day. So picture day meant that I was wearing a dress. And so I would, I would consider myself like a girly tomboy. Like I loved my um, graphic tees from Old Navy. You know what I'm talking about? 90s kids represent. <laughs> Anyways, so it's important to the story. So on picture day, this one day, our whole class, we loved like going by the slide, and it was like two, it was a, a divider, it was a big long slide, and you would race against the other person to impress the opposite sex. I don't know why we did this, but so you would, you would, there would be this monkey bar, and you'd grab onto the monkey bar, and you'd start like swinging as fast as you can, and then you'd count down, three, two, one, and then you'd let go and go down the slide. So I, this particular day, picture day, Mrs. Malecki's class, I see my crush at the bottom of the slide, and I'm like, oh, Oliver Smith is right there. I have got, it's now or never, I gotta shoot my shot. So I get at the top of the slide, and I hear the three, two, one, and I let go, and instead of going all the way down the slide into Oliver Smith's arms, I am dangling from the slide. Like, my dress is completely over my head, and my arms are pinned. 
Like, I can't move. And the whole class is at the bottom of the slide. And I'm like, how is this happening? Like, this memory is forever singed into my mind through my thigh. Because who thought it was a good decision to make metal slides in the 90s? I have no idea. I want to have words with that architect. Anyways, and then the, the recess bell rang. And a teacher had to, like, help me off the slide. And I tell that story because it's the perfect picture of how life happens right? Like it's random and like a painful memory or trauma might be seared into your consciousness and it's leaving you feeling like your dignity is like hanging on by a thread. And this is not a new concept to anyone in this room. Like if I were to pass the microphone around, each person in here will have a story of setbacks and successes seemingly at the same time. So maybe for you, it's like, I got a job promotion, but my kid just snuck out of the house and got caught doing naughty things. Or um, I got a puppy, but my grandpa died. Or maybe for you, since it's a 6 p.m., the 4 p.m. didn't get this. But maybe you're in here like, I finally, the Lord is faithful. I got a relationship that loves Jesus, but my anxiety is at like an all-time high. Like what is going on? Fill in the blank. Each person in here of a story like this, setbacks and successes happening, random parts of our life happening at the same time. So how do we process these seasons of lack of control that come our way? And so I'm glad you asked that. There's a story found in 2 Samuel that I kind of want to give you a little bit of context before we go into the text. But at this time, if you're familiar with Bible stories, there's this man named David And David, when he was a young boy, he was prophesied over and anointed to be the next king of Israel, okay? But so during this time, there actually was a king, and his name was Saul. And Saul had a son named Jonathan. And so if you fast forward 30 years from this prophecy to present day, um, there's a big battle that happens, and it's between the Israelites and the Philistines. And Jonathan and Saul end up dying in this battle, So Israel is left divided. So half of Israel wants the next heir of Saul to be king. And then half of the other half of Israel wants David, their mighty warrior, the guy that killed thousands, the guy that slayed David or Goliath. Like they want this man to be king. And so if you guys are in here and you watch Game of Thrones, this is like a playbook from Game of Thrones. So obviously thing, things get really messy. Like people are like actually stabbing each other in the back. Like stab, like stabbing. Like you don't feel it. You're like you are dead. <laughs> but also really wonderful things are happening. Like the Ark of God, like which represents the presence of God, is now back in the state of Israel. So really, really amazing things are happening. Really chaotic things are happening. And then it's like the writer of 2 Samuel has major ADD and drops the story of Jonathan's son into the mix. And so let's read in 2 Samuel 4.4. And Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son that was lame of his feet. He was five years old when the tidings came of Saul and Jonathan. And his nurse took him up and fled. And it came to pass as she made haste to flee that he fell and became lame. And his name was Mephibosheth. And so Mephibosheth is a really long name. And so for my sanity over the course of the next 20 minutes, I need to make it shorter. So I'm going to give him like a good old boy Texas name. We're going to go with Mo. Mo with the gimpy leg. Okay, if you know the reference, I will actually give you a dollar after the service. So, but 
if so Mo at face value this story seems like so random and out of place when I read it in the early this year I even like highlighted it in my bible and wrote random next to it because it was like I don't why? And if you were here two weeks ago, Doug made the point, like, if you're ever, like, reading your Bible and you're like, what the heck? Like, why is this even in there? Why is this, why is that there? Like, who knows? But every single detail, as painstaking as it is, is important to our faith journey. And Mo, with the gimpy leg, can actually teach us something about God in the context of our life. And it's this, and it, point number one, God knows your name. God knows your name. And so names hold so much significance because your name is your story. Your name is the family you've came from, whether good or bad. Your name is what future you're going to provide for your kids or whoever is in your future. Um, But a name is the essence of your existence. Your name is your legacy that you're going to write into history. And so God by writing this name of this pretty insignificant man in this like crazy season, in a storm, in physical weakness, in honestly someone else's story entirely. Have you ever felt this? Like you're in someone else's rat race. Like life just keeps happening to you. And you're like, wow, I'm just in this life thing. And God calls this man by name. And in one verse, he knows his family history, he knows the trauma, and not only the, uh, the event of the trauma, but he knows the exact date and time and whose hand caused the greatest um, hurt that took place in his life. And so if you're in a season where you're like, God, like, do you even see me? Like, do you know what's happening? Are you aware of what's going on? Like, I came all this way to tell that one person in this room, yes. Like, God sees you. He's fully aware of the chaos that you're going through, the things that you can't control. And all over scripture, God actually wants us to be how aware, how intimately aware he is um, of us. And he says in Jeremiah 1.5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you. In Galatians 1.15, it says, But he has set you apart before you were born and called you according to his grace. Man, he's seen you since the beginning. And then Jesus himself says in um, Luke 12 that he's actually talking to the disciples and random people. And they're, like, really worried. They're anxious. And they're, like, how will we die? And it's, like, whoa. And he's like, no, like, even, don't be anxious. Like, even the hairs of your head are numbered. And so he knows you down to the most, like, finite detail. And I can't help but think that some of you guys are in here and you have, like, a story like good old Mo. Like, you've experienced a trauma, maybe not a physical um, lameness, if you will, um, at the mercy of another person. So maybe for you, it's like you lost your dream job because your boss had so much pride you couldn't get over Or maybe a spouse or a boyfriend or a girlfriend was unfaithful. Or maybe your story is like mine. It was a diagnosis of a family member. Or maybe it was a physical or uh, emotional abuse of someone that you trusted. And it's kind of sent you into this like paralytic state. And there's this part of this story that's even like sometimes harder to reconcile in my mind that his nanny actually dropped him, crippling him out of good intention. You see, like at this time, 
It's just like Game of Thrones. I'm not kidding you. Um, if, if there was another king to rise separate from the bloodline of the previous king, that that whole line, even if you were like a third cousin, would get decimated, like you would die um, in order so that the new king can rise. And some of you guys, that, that kind of feels like your story in here. Like you you've felt like you couldn't like achieve enough. You couldn't be like the perfect daughter or like the most like athletic son for fill in the blank, whoever's like hurt you. And really in that person, if you really boil it down, at one point they might have experienced something that was outside of their control. And maybe in their subconscious or their conscious, they said, I will never let you feel the way that you do. And out of their fear and good intention, it has kind of left your story feeling crippled. And so I don't want like this moment to pass before we move on and say that, man, God sees you in this like crowd of a room. Like he knows you, your name is on full display in front of the Lord. But it would be really cruel for a God to see you and intrinsically know you, know every fiber of your DNA and not respond. And so that leads me to point number two, experience what God feels about you. And I love that this is a core value here because um, if you skip ahead a few chapters in Second Samuel, you kind of forget that the writer wrote about Mo. Like, life goes on, and um, David actually starts making the state of Israel really prosperous. It's like, people don't want to mess with Israel. The, ain't no one going to mess with me. And so, and so you kind of forget. And then um, tw- it's, scholars think that 20 years actually go by when we hear the next part about Jonathan's story, son's story. And scripture says this, Second um, Samuel 9, one day David asked, is anyone in Saul's family still alive? Anyone to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? He summoned a man named Ziba who had been Saul's servant. And he asked, is anyone still alive from Saul's family? So if so, I want to show God's kindness to them. And he replied, yes, one of Jonathan's sons is still alive, but he is crippled in both of his feet. Where is he? And he said, at the home of Maker, son of Amiel. And I was reading this interesting commentary that this is really telling of the state that Mephibosheth was in. And it was really shameful at that time to have been heir to the throne and actually live in someone else's basement. And, I mean, picture this, like a 25-year-old guy living in the basement, someone else. He's a millennial. I'm just throwing that out there. Okay, I'm a millennial, so I can say that. Okay, so David sent for him and brought him from Maker's home. His name was Mo, and he was Jonathan's son and Saul's grandson. When he came to David, he bowed low and to the ground in deep respect. And they say that he was, like, embarrassing himself in this moment. And Davis, David said, greetings. And he replied, I am your servant. Do not be afraid, David said. I intend to show you kindness because of my promise to your father. I will give you all the property that once belonged to your grandfather, and you will eat here with me at the king's table. And so David communicates three different times how expressive he is in wanting to show him kindness. And sometimes when in English, words don't really translate the same. So it's not like he wanted to like help Mo across the street and like feel really good about himself. Like 
This word for kindness is hesed, which it implies this almost like aggressive zeal to showing someone loving kindness, mercy, goodness, faithfulness to another person. And so I know, I don't know about you, I know what it's like to feel like an aggressive wanting to love someone. And it's a real thing, and it's called cute aggression. Okay, Yale, Yale, Yale did a study on this. If you want to look it up, check, fact check me. And its formal title is this, Demorphous Expressions of Positive Emotion, Displays of Both Care and Aggression in Response to Cute Stimuli. So I was reading a commentary on this particular study, and it said this, cute aggression is often baffling and embarrassing to those who experience it. People say, I want to squeeze it until it pops. I want to eat it. And so this is how we kind of like coined the um, term for babies. Like, your baby is so cute. I want to like squish its cheeks. Like, aggressive response to cute stimuli. And so I'm not really like a baby person. Like, I think they're not that cute until they're two. But I'm sure baby's amazing and so cute. I experienced cute aggression towards my husband. We'll say that. Or puppies. I love dogs, specifically my dog. I think we have a picture and whenever I see him, like, oh, my gosh, are you serious? Like, I want to grab, like, I want to go through the TV and grab his ears and, like, rip them off of his body. <laughs> I don't do that, but I want to. This, like, aggressive zeal towards wanting to show another person love, kindness, goodness, mercy. And if you're unaware in the room tonight, this is how God feels about you. This is the character of God. Hey. That was funny. But Galatians 5, Galatians 5 says this, that the spirit of, the fruits of the spirit, the essence of God is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. Meaning, have you experienced how God feels about you? This is who God is. And like what Doug was saying at the beginning of the message, like have you experienced like peace that surpasses all understanding when hell is breaking loose? Or maybe have you experienced joy in the face of your greatest battle? Because this is who God is. And this is what you have access to. And so in this moment, in this story, we're seeing the character of God, his goodness, his kindness, come into a head-on collision with the random parts of our story, the things that we can't control. And so let's see how he responds. 2 Samuel 9, 8. Mephibosheth bowed respectfully and exclaimed, Who is your servant that you should show such kindness to a dead dog like me? And here's what seasons of randomness will do. When you can't quite plug in your pain or your trauma into this spiritual algorithm of God's kindness. This is what every human does. We hide. And hiding is simply putting walls of control that we can control around areas of our life that we have not been able to control. And so then once these walls are in place, and your wall can take different forms like um, narcissism, pessimism, anger, gossip, um, I know consumerism, I know mine is avoidance. And so once these walls are in place, we start making assumptions. And hiding will make you start believing and kind of like perceiving truths that are distorted, that are like have truths. And so Mo made the assumption in his hiding that David would kill him. 
He's like, I'm a dead man walking. Like, what do you have to do with me? But also, he started believing the lie that he was worthless. He called himself a dog. The most, like, unworthy, disgusting animal at this time. What would anyone want to do with me? Have you felt this before? And Mo has this moment of contemplation between two truths. And I can't prove this, but he's human, so he has to have thoughts. And he, he probably had this like moment where he's like, okay, like everything I've experienced, how I've processed this trauma in my life, how I've, honestly, like the thoughts I've held about this king for 20 years, will I choose to remain in this man's basement? Or... Will I sit at the king's table and experience what the king feels towards me? And so maybe he had this thought too, like, okay, like, what will I actually, what will actually happen at the king's table? And so um, I was doing some research. This king's table is actually, um, it represents communion, it represents intimacy, abundance, maybe velvet taco. But the closest translation of what this table represents is it's the table of Jehovah, which means providing, provision. And so David actually writes in Psalm 23 about a, a table. He says, God, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And spoiler alert, um, the story ends and Mephibosheth goes to Jerusalem, sits at this king's table, but the story ends, and it says, but he was lame in both of his legs. And so I think sometimes we think, okay, there needs to be like a disappearance of my enemy or of my pain, of this trauma, to experience God's provision. And we sit here and we're like, okay, well, let's like pray the enemy away. Let's um, have more faith. And if it doesn't happen, then we need to get more faith. And we need to, until we, until we can, I'm going to sit here and take selfies of myself and hashtag live my best life for Jesus. And uh, we feel like we need to be fully redeemed and restored and never have any doubt or go through anything hard in this life. And can I just say like, this position of coming to God's provision has done so much hurt in the church. Like, if, you, if you've experienced that, like, of what you've gone through, like, someone's made you feel like you can't come to God's provision, his table of grace, then can I just say, as a girl, a girl that loves the local church, the hope of the world, God's the bride of Christ, I am so sorry. You should have never felt that. Because the truth be told, God wants to fill his table with a posture like this. In Psalm 51, it says, God, my sacrifice is a broken spirit, oh God. A broken and contrite heart you will not despise. And so this story of Mephibosheth is like our weakness. This is what we bring to the Lord. The divorce, the wayward kid, the anxiety, the depression, Whatever trauma you've experienced, this is our sacrifice to the Lord. And in in Luke 14, Jesus says, go to the highways and the country roads, bringing in the lame and the poor and the crippled and the lame so that my house is full. These are the people and the posture that I want at my table of provision. 
And so my last point is this. Now go to the place you aren't. Go to the place you aren't. You see, Mo experienced kind of in that moment, like, wow, the king doesn't actually want to kill me. He wants to show me kindness. And he kind of felt what God felt, felt about him. But now it was time to go to the place that he wasn't. He had to choose. And so I remembered a, a few years back, um, part of my story I said at the beginning of this message was um, my mom actually had a diagnosis of breast cancer. And she had it for six years. And, man, we prayed and we did all the things. And she actually passed, like, a couple weeks before my wedding. And I remember telling one of my good girlfriends, she's actually here, and I remembered I... I've never experienced, like, so much joy in becoming a new bride and starting my new, this new life, but also, like, deep, deep, like, the deepest sorrow in losing my, like, confidant, my mom, the matriarch of our family, like, the glue that held us all together. And it wasn't, honestly, until January of this year, those two years, three years ago, January of this year, I, like, inquired the Lord, and I was, like, sitting in my brokenness, and to be honest, I was, like, so sick of asking why. Like, why? 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 Why did this happen? Why did I see what I saw? Like, why? And I felt like God led me to this Psalm 27. And I'm going to read it. But it's actually really ironic because David wrote this when he was in the transition of becoming king. And it says this, The Lord is a light in my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Things that have happened to you that are outside of your control, it is they, one day before the Lord, that they will stumble and fall. One thing I have asked for of the Lord that I will seek after, that I might dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and inquire in his temple. For he will hide me in his shelter in the day of trouble. He will conceal me under the cover of his tent. He will lift me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted above my enemies and I will offer in his tent sacrifices. The things that you can't control, offer them to the Lord with shouts of joy and I will sing and make melody to the Lord hear O Lord when I cry aloud be gracious to me and answer me you have said seek my face and my heart says to you your face Lord I seek for my father and mother have forsaken me but the Lord will take me in teach me your way O Lord and lead me on the level path because of my enemies I would have lost heart unless I had believed that surely, surely, everybody say surely. Surely I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord and let your heart take courage. And so I know you don't understand, Whitney, is this what the Lord was telling me? I know you don't understand, but let me show you my goodness. And I was sitting in this wheelchair and I was like having a conversation with God and I was like, but God, like, why did this have to happen? And he reminded me of a, the, the next summer, um, there was one of our youth students, a girl, and her dad actually ended up passing of cancer. And she was the, I was one of the only ones that she was like comfortable enough to like talk to and like pray for and 
really open up and be vulnerable to. And, and I felt like God was like, yeah, I like took you to a place that you weren't. But God, like, I prayed and I fasted for six years. I didn't like fast the full six years. Like that, that's not why I'm not this skinny. But I felt like God like said like, you know, three years after this, there's going to be a man that comes into Littleton and he's going to be so plagued by demons, like literally speaking out like demonic tongue. And you're going to have to find that place of like deep understanding and, and, um, and pray prayers of deliverance for this man. And, and guess what? And he's going to accept Jesus and you're going to take communion with him. Like you're going to go to a place that you haven't before. Like I'm going to, like my goodness will take you there. But God, like I prayed scriptures of healing for so long. Like your word, I prayed your word and it didn't happen the way I was wanting. But you know what? God, God told me, he's like, you know, remember that one time when you were in the promised land and you were sitting on a rock in Capernaum? And you finally, like, mustered enough faith to, like, pray healing over your, one of your really close friends. His anxiety and his depression, it's too much for him to bear. And you're going to muster up faith again. And you're going to pray these prayers over him. And you're going to come back. And he's actually going to have miraculously broken anxiety and depression. Because you're going to go to a place that you're not. And so once you see God's goodness, man, you can't go back to a place of misunderstanding. And that's why Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly in my weakness so that, so that the power of Christ might rest upon me. And some of you guys in here, you need to cling on to the promise of God that surely, surely I will see your goodness, God, in the land of the living. And sure, there's patience in that equation. Some of you guys are like folding your hands. You're like, I'm practical. What's the practical thing I can do? The one, two, three, four, X, Y, Z plan. And, I, and David writes, the, the one thing that I seek, the one thing I've asked for is that I might dwell in the presence of the Lord all the days of my life to see your goodness in my life, in, my, in the land of the living. And so what if we were a church, Bedrock's Church Austin, what if we were a place that would remain, come hell or high water, like life is going to happen to you, like you can't escape it. But if we were a place that could just say, God, the one thing I ask is that you will reveal your goodness to me. Not, not on the other side of eternity, but right now, reveal your goodness to me. And so, um, can everybody stand? I'm going to end our time together. This is my favorite part of the message, and it's this. Um, the whole story of what David did, the kindness that he showed Mephibosheth, is the ultimate um, foreshadowing of what Jesus did for us. That by showing, um, sacrificing his life and raising, being raised from the dead, showing the whole world the greatest act of kindness ever. That he finds us like in our broken and our crippled places of our lives, the parts of your heart that no one knows except you and your story. And he invites us to a table of communion that we can sit with the Father and be fully known forever. And so if that's you, man, can I introduce you to Jesus, like the King? And he's inviting you 
And if you're kind of nervous, like, can I just encourage you, like, go to the place that you aren't. I promise it'll be the best decision of your life. So with everyone's head bowed and eyes closed, I just want to ask, do you know Jesus? Do you know him? And if that's you, you're like, I don't know him, but I'm like kind of scared. I want to raise my hand. Man, the Bible says like today is the day for salvation. Don't wait. And so if that's you and you say, Jesus, I want to give you my life. Can you just raise your hand? That's you. I see you. Okay. Um, I also want to ask a second question that, man, if, you, if you've been asked, if your story is like mine, and you're like, God, why? 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 Can, I, can you just be like bold and like raise your hand? That's like part of your story. Why? Amazing. Okay, I'm going to pray for both those people in here. So God, thank you. Thank you so much for the gift of salvation. God, thank you for life with you. It's so amazing. God, th thank you for the people that said yes to your call. And Jesus, I just pray right now that you start comforting them, that you start lifting them up. You start speaking um, words of purpose and vision for their future. God, that you lift those people up. And God, I also pray for the people that raise their hand and ask just why. God, I just pray oh, the biggest prayer that coming down to Austin, Texas was that, God, that they can have enough courage to turn their question of why into where. God, where are you going to take these people? Where are you going to take these stories? God, where are you going to, um, where are the people that need their stories to be heard? And so, God, I just pray that in this time of worship, that they can just, their sacrifice to you, Jesus, you will not despise them, that you will start speaking to them. God, give understanding to misunderstanding and let them see that they have a hope and a future. In Jesus' name I pray. God, we love you so much. Thank you for everything you do for us. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.